called Shift, Changing for Impact. Shift, Changing for Impact. Uh, And today, we want to launch from the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John. uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. John chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. Words should be appearing on your screen shortly. Uh, From the English Standard Version, you'll find these words. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so, the, so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he knew, to, knew uh, himself what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those uh, who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God for God's word on today. Uh, As we consider uh, this particular narrative, a familiar one in the context of Christian faith, uh, I'd like to tag this text with the topic, the challenge to connect, the challenge to connect. Our text today finds Jesus and his disciples on the mountainside off of the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was seeking retreat from a great crowd that was following him because uh, they were engaged and intrigued by his power to heal the sick. Word had quickly spread about a man who was making a profound impact in the region, and when they spotted him sitting on the mountain as they were on their way to the Jewish Passover festival, uh, the crowd uh, headed to Jerusalem, changed their course, and because of this, because of this desire that they had to have an experience with Jesus. And already we see in the text that there is a great reality that exists within the context of our current world and culture uh, that is revealed through the text today. People are more drawn to Christ encounters than church events. Many studies conducted in recent years uncover a trend of older youth and young adults and even middle-aged adults now abandoning their faith as they move into adulthood and walking away from the church never to return. The conclusions of these studies have, uh, have leaned towards a shift in the church's method of conveying the gospel message. Increasingly, people desire to be a part 
of something more uh, that connects at a deeper level than a, an emotional moment in a worship experience. Unlike the days gone by when going to church was the socially acceptable thing to do, the church is now just one option of many that people can choose from. Yet there are still people who are looking for a meaningful connection to something with lasting substance. And ultimately, what they need and desire is a real and relational experience with Jesus Christ. And as we look at our text, we see that that's why the crowd was coming. They were trying to have an experience with Jesus. Verse 5, Jesus is getting off the boat and he sees the crowd coming his way. And he saw the crowd. He lifted his eyes and saw the crowd coming towards them. This crowd, which was traveling to the Jewish Passover festival, had traveled all day and was traveling and had caught up to where Jesus was. They were excited, yet Jesus here in this moment was tired. They were far removed from any place um, that they could get anything to eat, for the hour was growing late. And knowing all of this, Jesus raises a question to the disciples. He says, why, where rather shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? This is an interesting question that Jesus poses here in verse number six. Um, and it re the author reveals that this question is only a test because Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus wasn't asking this question to gain information. Jesus was uh, issuing a challenge to Philip and the other disciples. The challenge that says, how can we meet the needs of these people? Challenge that Jesus issues to Philip. And the other disciples, he issues even to us today. How do we meet the needs of people who are disengaged, disenfranchised, and yes, even distrust, distrustful of the traditional trappings of church and religion? We, we know who these people are. They are members of our families. They are our cousins and our sons and our daughters and our uncles and our aunties, our parents. They are people on our jobs, our bosses and our co-workers. They are our neighbors. They are folks we see in the everyday daily routine of our lives. And sometimes, y'all, we have to be honest that we can be so engrossed with what's happening with our own lives that we don't allow the Holy Spirit in us to sensitize us to the opportunities for God's power and God's love to flow through us to help those that we encounter. Jesus' question, where can we buy bread for the people so that they can eat, isn't just one of practicality, but it is one of intentionality as well. It isn't just about feeding the hungry crowds, but it is also about recognizing that their hunger exists in the first place. And so often the issue isn't that people don't want to know about Jesus. It is that we as disciples haven't taken seriously enough the command of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples. When we have committed to follow Jesus Christ, then our lives should serve as a directional sign in the lives of those we encounter that points them to Jesus. Even as a community of disciples following Christ, our goal isn't to increase the membership numbers at our church to promote our own talents and abilities, but it is to exist in such a way that is impactful on the greater community in which we exist. Uh, 
in, in, in short, people are in need of a church that doesn't just speak about Jesus, but they are about Jesus. They don't just speak about Jesus, but they show up in the ways that Jesus would show up. They don't just speak about Jesus, but they say and do the things that Jesus would do and show up in the spaces, in the places where Jesus would be, alongside the people that Jesus would hang out with. There are people that need us, uh, that need to be fed and are crying out for something to feel the God-sized void in their souls. And Jesus has issued to his disciples the challenge of meeting the needs of the people. Jesus asked the question, where can we buy bread for the people to eat? As we look at the text, there are two responses to his inquiry. The author says that Jesus directly asked Philip about buying food for the gathering crowd. Philip, y'all, was a native of this particular region of Galilee and would have the most knowledge of where to get some good food. Philip responds to Jesus' question, implying that they were too far removed to get any food and that even if they could get it, it would cost more than half a year's salary to buy enough bread for each person in the crowd to get just a bite. Y'all, Philip sees the same crowd that Jesus saw gathering near them and was shocked that Jesus would even consider taking on such a task without counting the cost of feeding this great multitude of people. Jesus and the disciples were a cash-strapped band of travelers themselves. Jesus asked and expected them uh, to provide for the needs of this vast number of people in spite of who they were and what they had. Philip's response provides perspective for how he views the challenge through a narrow lens and takes a passive approach, raising only the possibility of using financial resources to feed the people. His response presented the cost of feeding such a crowd just the bare minimum, and according to his analysis, it would cost too much. More than half a year's wages was too great a cost to invest in feeding a weary crowd uh, with empty stomachs. Philip's response to Jesus' challenge is similar to the response of many of us who say we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Philip's approach to the problem from a practical and pragmatic standpoint. He uses a logical line of thinking to assess the situation at hand and concludes that the crowd is too large. Their resources are too limited. They are too far removed from any possible provision and it wouldn't be feasible to attempt to meet such a need because the required investment to address this need was just too great. Our reaction to the needs of the crowds in our day can be the same as the response that Philip gave Jesus. It cost too much. We look around and we analyze our human resources, our time resources and our financial resources and conclude that we don't have the capacity to meet the needs of the people. And the reality of the situation, y'all, is that we don't have all the resources to meet the needs of all the people. Yet, that doesn't make the need less or less uh, real or less pressing. But we have to recognize, y'all, that we aren't always being asked to do everything, but we are asked to do something. Philip's response, y'all, is giving an answer without taking an action, and it ends up leaving the needs of the people unmet. Even though we don't have the manpower, the money power, or the moment power, a response, y'all, is still required. There are no excuses for why we can't do it, 
It's easy for us to find a reason not to reach beyond ourselves, but when we serve a God that makes all things possible, we should be looking for ways that we can. Our mindset ought to not to be, our first answer ought not be, uh, no, we can't do it, but we ought to be saying we serve a God who can do it and who will make a way for us to make it happen. The size of our budget should not dictate the size of our impact. The number of folks who are a part of our community of faith shouldn't determine the level of our influence. The limits on our time should not be the reason for our inaction. We ought not be guilty of letting our pragmatism cancel out our faith and imagination for what God is able to do with what we have. There are needs to be met. There are people who need to have their lives changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has called us to do it. Uh, Philip answered and responded with an answer to Jesus' question. And in verses 8 and 9, we see that there's a second response to Jesus' challenge. While Jesus and Philip were in dialogue about what to do, Peter's brother, Andrew, heard the conversation. And looking carefully at the action of the text, we discovered that while Peter was answering Jesus' question without acting on it, Andrew took action in order to find an answer. Uh, Andrew's response to this situation gives us a model on which we as Christians can emulate in order to deal with the needs of people searching for meaningful connection. While others are talking about what can and can't happen, Andrew is an example of what we should be doing in order to connect people with Christ. Andrew shows us, y'all, that we have to be willing to go outside of ourselves. As Philip finishes his response to Jesus' question, Andrew approached uh, Jesus accompanied by a young boy who had in his lunchbox two small fish and five small barley loaves of bread. What is interesting in comparing the responses of Philip and Andrew is that Philip talked in terms of us and them, while Andrew went into the crowd of people to find a potential solution. Philip was focused on, uh, on the division. We are over here and they are over there. But Andrew took the time to break down the barrier and go into the crowd to see if he could find an answer. Y'all, our churches are comfortable. Our self-righteous standards are comfortable. Our self-made traditions are comfortable. Yet part of the reason for the loss of influence in the ch of the church uh, in the greater culture is because we are too focused on ourselves. We can get so caught up in maintaining the practices and the standards that are not biblically based and are ineffective because we are unwilling to change. Y'all, the way we used to do it uh, 50 years ago, 25 years ago, 15 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 years ago, before COVID-19, not going to work right now. If it isn't working, y'all, we need to get rid of it because it is a barrier to doing the work. That Jesus has commissioned us to do, which is making disciples. We have to choose between being comfortable or connecting people with the power of God. Our preferences are fine, but they can't be more important than the priority of reaching people for the kingdom of God. If we don't adjust our message methods rather and recommit uh, to some discipleship basics, the people we encounter who are looking for Jesus may miss out on experiencing the message of God's love for them. We want to know why folks don't come to us in church. But the real question is, why don't we go to them in the world as Jesus showed us how to do? 
and commanded us to do. Y'all, you got to go back and read about Jesus' ministry and check the places where he spent his time. Jesus, yes, went to the synagogue and went to the temple to study and to worship, but he spent more time in the streets and in the homes and in the everyday spaces with people who need to be connected with the kingdom of God. Jesus was where the people were, and Jesus tells us to do the same thing. In the book of Acts, Paul does this in Athens as well. In the midst of a culture that celebrated many gods, Paul uses their monument to an unknown God to present uh, to uh, present them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in, in, in many in that place experienced conver- conversion to following Jesus. Paul didn't judge them for worshiping many gods, but leverages their worship to point to the one true God. This means, y'all, we can't judge folks based on their lifestyles, but we can show them the love of God by meeting them where they are and making it our priority to love them unconditionally. We have to put all of our pretension, all of our preconceived notions, all of our prejudgment to the side in order to reach others for Christ. And y'all, this is what Andrew shows us. Because while looking for an answer, Andrew grows into the crowd, encounters this boy with a lunchbox with two fish and five loaves of bread. And unlike Philip, he went out into the crowd among the people, and by doing so, he found a potential solution to the challenge they faced. Y'all, what he found was a little boy with a little bit of food. Andrew wasn't sure how these fish sandwiches were going to feed the entire crowd, but he didn't allow that thought to completely discount what the boy possessed. Andrew stumbles upon the boy in the crowd, then recognizes what the boy has in his possession. And even though he didn't know know how useful the little boy's lunch would be, Andrew saw that boy had something to give and took that boy to Jesus. This is important, y'all, because uh, think about it. Andrew could have done any number of things when he encounters this little boy and his lunch. Andrew could have left the boy in the crowd and said, listen, the Lord needs your lunchbox. Let me take that to Jesus. Uh, Andrew could have left the boy and the lunch to go get Jesus and bring Jesus to him. Uh, Andrew could have pointed the boy in the direction of Jesus and allowed him to go to Jesus on his own. But that's not what Andrew does, y'all. Andrew walks with the boy and his lunchbox through the crowd to get him to Jesus. And y'all, too often the church has been guilty of pointing people to Jesus, but not being willing to do the work necessary uh, to uh, make a personal, by taking rather a personal and intentional responsibility uh, for living in re- relational space uh, and, and, and living out the work of discipleship in order to get them to Jesus. God is a God of relationship, y'all. Jesus taught the disciples that, uh, Jesus taught the disciples um, Not through pointing to God and leaving them to figure it out on their own, but in the context of a daily relationship over three years. What Andrew does in the text is a picture of what we should be doing with those who are seeking to connect to Christ. We can't allow them to figure it out on their own or expect them to know what know it all when they show up at the door. We must be willing to walk with them. We can't point them in the general direction of Jesus. We can't allow them to wander on their own. We can't, we can't 
can't take their stuff and leave them with nothing. We must walk with them. One of the major reasons, y'all, people join churches, then stop coming or leave and join other churches is because there is a lack of intentionality in building relationships with them. The church is a spiritual and relational organism. It is in the context of relationship and community that we grow as disciples. Andrew shows us what it means to stay the course and to be concerned with what they have, but more importantly concerned with who they are becoming. Every Christian should have some Andrew in them because Andrew shows us that if we could walk with people, that ultimately through living out our relationship with God before them, we can connect them with Jesus Christ. Y'all after finding a boy, recognizing what he has and leading him through the crowd, Andrew connects him with Jesus. Verses 8 and 9, Andrew presents the little boy and tells Jesus about the two fish and five loaves in his basket. He said, this little boy right here got something, Jesus. And even though Andrew was skeptical about how useful they could be, he still places the boy and his possessions in the presence of the Savior. Though Andrew was unsure about their usefulness, he realized that once the boy was connected to Jesus, that ultimately it was nothing more that he could do. And if we are to connect people with Christ, we have to overcome our own doubts and put them uh, in the hands of the Savior. We encounter them. We recognize that there is something there. We lead them through the crowd. We place them and their possession, their personal issues and their hang-ups, their profound giftedness and their promising creativity in the presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. Their fish and five loaves may not amount to much while it's in their hands. And we might have our own doubts about how effective the contents of the lunchbox will be. But in Jesus' hands, what was once minute and minuscule and minor becomes enough to feed the masses until they have had their fill, even 12 baskets left over. In the hands of the Savior, what looks like not much turns into more than enough. And just imagine the lasting impact of this, of, of this experience in the life of this boy. As Jesus lifts up his lunch basket, gives thanks to God, and uses his barley loaves and fish to feed thousands of people. Imagine the testimony he has to tell to family and friends about how Jesus took what he had and used it to help somebody else. And if we want to meet the needs of the people in this community along with those who we encounter every day and continue to build the kingdom of God in the earth, we have to connect them to Jesus. If we can get them to encounter and experience Christ, uh, the impact on their lives will be ex exponential, and they won't have to rely on the testimony of others, but they will know the power of God for themselves. Connecting people with Christ is, a cri is critical because, as it says in verse 6, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Listen, Jesus knew about the needs of the people. He knew about the boy in the crowd. He knew about the two fish and the five loaves of bread. He already knew what he was going to do. Jesus, y'all, had a plan in place. And Andrew connected the boy and his two-piece fish dinner with the power of Jesus. It didn't matter which side of the boy, the town the boy lived on because Jesus Jesus had a plan in place. It didn't matter that he didn't have proper church clothes because Jesus had a plan in place. It didn't matter how much money
money he made because Jesus had a plan in place. Place. It didn't matter what his ethnic makeup or educational background was because Jesus had a plan in place. It didn't matter how many times this boy had been arrested or what drugs he had been addicted to because Jesus had a plan in place. And just like Jesus had a plan in place for your life and for my life, Jesus has a plan in place for the lives of men, women, boys, and girls that we encounter each and every day. Jesus had a plan in place. Even And even though Andrew didn't know what the plan was, all he had to do was get the boy in his lunch into the presence of Jesus. And we have to remember that it's not our job to save them because only Jesus can do that. It's not our job to fix them because only Jesus can do that. But just like Andrew, Jesus is challenging us to go and get our young people even when their pants are sagging and their skirts might be too short. Just like Andrew, Jesus is challenging us to go get our young adults and help them navigate the ups and downs of a life. Jesus is just like Andrew. Jesus is challenging us to go and get the middle-aged adults who have been hurt by church folks and show them what the love of God really looks like. Just like Andrew, Jesus is challenging us to go and get our seasoned saints and let them know that they still have so much to give even in the golden years of their lives. Just like Andrew, Jesus is challenging us to go into the hedges and the highways, the hangouts and the homes and help people make the connection with Jesus Christ. Y'all, it's our job to go. It's our job to love. It's our job to help. It's our job to walk with them. It's our job to serve. It's our job to show up. We are challenged today to connect people with the same Christ that asked the question in the text, where can we buy bread to feed the people? Well, the good news is that we don't have to buy it because there was a plan in place because Jesus later on in chapter 6 declares that he is the bread of life. And you know what the scripture says in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but would have everlasting life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died that we might live. Jesus is the bread of life sent down from glory. Jesus is our hope and our salvation. And that's good news for somebody today. You might have messed up. You might have been broken and overwhelmed by your life circumstances. You might think that you have nothing worth giving. But the hymn writer said it like this, that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. And Jesus needs us to connect people with the same Christ who thought that we were such a worthwhile investment that he came down through 40 and two generations just to shed the blood that would cover our sins. Uh, Jesus, he needs us to connect people with the same Christ uh, who died on Calvary's tree but got up early 
Finally, on the third day morning, uh, he's challenging us to connect people to Christ. He's challenging us to stir up the gifts of our young people. He's challenging us to stir up the gifts of our young adults and our middle-aged folks. He's challenging us to stir up the gifts of our seasoned saints. He's challenging us to love and embrace people so that Christ can magnify their potential, so that Christ can multiply their possibilities, so that Christ can move them to having a miraculous impact in their neighborhoods, in their schools, on their jobs, in their homes, and in the world. The songwriter said, how to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave the key that if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men, I'll draw all women, I'll draw all boys, I'll draw all girls, I'll draw all Republicans, I'll draw all Democrats, I'll draw all homosexuals, I'll draw all drug addicts, I'll draw all the depressed, I'll draw all the homeless, I'll draw all men, all women, all boys, all people unto me. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing to draw men and women unto him today, you want to type it in the chat. You want to lift your hands and say, help me to be a connector for the glory of God. Challenges to connect. This is a shift we got to make. This is the change we got to make for impact. We connect people that we don't see in our building are connected to the Lord. That we can be the conduit of their connection to Jesus Christ so that they can live lives empowered, lives anew. So that we can expand the kingdom of God. Look, it's bigger. I don't care what they got on. I care where they live. I don't care what they've been through. They're alive right now. They breathe and have breath in their lungs. God has a purpose for their lives. So powerful. So impactful. It make all the difference. So those of us who are disciples have to take it upon ourselves to take seriously commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 go ye therefore when we talk about going is as we go as we live our lives as we go to the grocery store as we go to work as we go to soccer practices as we are moving and grooving in the community and doing the things that we do as we are on social media that we are lights that will help to connect people Jesus Christ. That's what we call to do. That's how we can change the culture. There's a shift we need to make. Shift from waiting for them to come to us and go into them. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of Andrew in our text. Yes, he had some doubts about what the little boy had, but he made the steps necessary to get that little boy connected with Jesus. 
because that little boy possessed something that Jesus could use. And God, it's my prayer today that you would open up our eyes and help us to see everyone that we encounter as a person that has purpose, as a person that has a place and a plan that God has established in the world, as a person that God wants to use, that God is ready to love and embrace to welcome into the kingdom of God, to change their lives. Now, we, we never know how God will use the people that we encounter. And so our main focus ought not be how, it ought not be about what's going to happen once they get there. It should just be to get them there, to get them in the presence, the loving transformative and powerful presence of Jesus Christ. God, today we pray that if there is one who's been a part of our worship experience today, God, that you would touch their hearts, challenge them, God, today to connect, to say yes unto you. That perhaps you use this virtual experience to compel them, to remind them that they were created in your image, that they were created with purpose, that they have something beautiful to offer that can help this world be a better place and reflective of the kingdom of God. That reminded them that you love them so much that you sent Jesus to die for them. God, touch their hearts today. Help them to say yes unto you, God. Even one who's been disconnected, God, help them to come back home. God, help them to know that there is a place for them in your kingdom, that you still love them. It doesn't matter what they've done or where they've been or how they may have messed up. That has never stopped the flow of your love for them. God, we pray for one that may want to partner even with our church. Bring their gifts here as we, as we seek you together. Seek to encounter your presence ever the more. Be reflective of the people you've called us to be. God, help them to say yes. And God, help us all to say yes to being connectors to the kingdom. Commit to our role of being expanders of the kingdom of God for your glory. We thank you, God, and we praise you. Somebody in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.